0: You are listening to the Horse Radio Network, part of the Equine Network family.
1: This is episode 704 of the Dressage Radio Show, official podcast of the United States Dressage Federation on the Horse Radio Network, brought to you by Kentucky Performance Products. On the show today, we are joined by Ruth Hogan-Polson, who will tell us what is new for the Dressage Riders Journal in 2023. After that, we have the author of our book club book of the month, Christian Beyer. And then we have a great trainer tip from Anna Merritt.
2: This is Reese Koffler-Stanfield in Loxahatchee, Florida.
1: And this is Philip Parks from Rockwood, Ontario, and you're listening to the Dressage Radio Show.
2: Hi, Phil. How are you?
1: I'm doing a fine, just trudging along. <laughs> you know, that's uh,
3: you <laughs> know, that's how the winter goes Northern up listeners. here, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, but I'm still finding ways to to be creative and uh, and of course work hard. You know, so I don't know if I've told you before, or you know, but I will bring it up again that. Um, you know, kind of January and February is when I train the horses, but with no spurs, no whip. So, and, uh, you know, sometimes no stirrups. So, you know, we're just finding things to do and and really, you know, working on myself and working on my seat and, and lots of, lots of good stuff going on.
2: Ah, that's awesome. No, I mean, seriously, at some point you need training time. Right. And I think that's important to remember. You can't show all the time, Or, you know, I don't believe in it. I don't think you do either, Phil. Like, I feel like the horses will take time off if you give it to them or if you don't, you know, so I'm with you. I I typically now train more in the summer than I do in Florida, but I'll tell you this winter, I'm mostly training. I'm actually not showing very much. I don't have any horses really that are ready to show for various reasons. Uh, You know, follow me is really learning the Grand Prix, the Piaf and Passage, particularly. Uh, and then I have a couple other horses that are just for whatever reason, sort of not in a showing season, which is kind of nice because I'm really spending money on lessons, which we can do down here because uh, the coaches are here. So I'm really taking advantage of that money for more training, uh, which has been a lot of fun. The last two years I've shown every weekend. I've been really busy and, and hit showing hard. So that's been a fun season down here too. So I may also be showing a little bit more in the spring and summer up, up north, but in a typical year I'll show here and, and train in, in, in the summer in Kentucky because uh, it's hot. And um, so, yeah, so I, I do believe that, that they can't show all year round. I don't think that that's good for anybody. So um, yeah, I, I'm with you. We're, we're, very, very actively training here. Um, it's really, this is the height of season. I think we're five weeks in and, uh, of, of the shows and yeah, this weekend's a world cup qualifier. So that's going to be really fun. And yeah, all my, all my jumpers, I, I think I've mentioned it before, but Phil knows for sure. But I, I ride a lot of jumpers and work with a lot of, top level show jumpers, uh Grand Prix horses. And they're all jumping. So I usually see them early in the week. I see them sort of Tuesday or Wednesday. And then they go and jump for the rest of the week. Uh, my event horses that are here, uh, they're going to Ocala this weekend. So we're well, we are full steam ahead, uh, which has been fun. So I don't have much more of an update from Florida. There was a wonderful Kira symposium for the Lusitanos. This week, uh, actually, really close, and I was so bummed I I wasn't able to go there because of my work commitments. But um, there, lots of stuff going on, which is fun, and we're seeing a lot of people. I get really popular this time of year, Phil. I don't know why.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah. So are you well, you were gonna give us an update on you know what's uh, <laughs> what's trailer life? How, how how's yeah. the camping going?
2: So I, I think I did mention it on one of the shows earlier in, in the winter or in the fall, but um, I actually bought a travel trailer and uh, for my brother. So it was actually a family purchase. And my brother has become the RV assistance man. <laughs> if I call, he better answer, uh, especially that first few days when I was hooking it up for the first time. It was kind of a nightmare, but it's all hooked up. And I will be honest, I actually like it. I wasn't sure. I was really nervous if I would like it. So I it's big. It's It has two rooms and a bathroom, and I am literally right outside the barn. So I love that. I actually really rest well here. I think partly I rest well because literally I have my dog and my horses that I'm in charge of are within 200 feet of me. So I can you know feel like I can hear what's going on. So that's been great. Uh, and plus, I think I'm also just exhausted by the time I go to sleep. But yeah, my dog really likes it now. He was nervous in the beginning, but uh, we have a good little routine, and we kind of know how we do things now. And yeah, it's been quite fun. I've got. I should. I'll post a picture of it. I have a cute little mat, and I. Um, I Winston has like a a big pen, like kind of a dog kennel outside. So he can, has a place to go if he needs it and cute little chairs. And yeah, my my friends uh, gave me like a tabletop fire pit. So I have that. So I'm pretty set up. I'm not going to lie. I kind of like it. I have internet so I can, partly so I can do the show. But, um, I mean, I, I, I've been, you know, if I can get through a Netflix show, I'm thrilled. And so I've been happy as a little, little camper, not going to lie. I kind of, I kind of like camp life.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, we're (laughs) going to have to keep, you know, keep, keep getting the updates uh, every couple of weeks (laughs) or so. And yeah, I have a new uh, uh, repair
2: man yeah, a yeah. nice repairman that I can call if necessary, which is good. i'm I'm really close to Lion Country Safari if people know the area. So there's like a big campground there. So I had a problem and I actually went over there and I asked them, I said, oh, do you have a name names of reputable people? So I've been using my resources, so yeah, I like it. It's not bad. I, I'm probably gonna, um well, it's gonna come back to Kentucky, and I'll probably keep doing a show. Uh, it's quite nice to do the show from in here because it's just, it's quiet and the boys know, you know, my husband, we record around dinner time. So my husband's always like trying to make dinner and, and, uh, that kind of stuff. So I may keep it. I may, may kind of keep enjoying
1: yeah, nice, it. Nice, nice so. little, uh, uh office, office space.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And when Phil comes to visit in Kentucky, he'll have a place to stay. So yeah, I think so far I'm, I'm liking it.
1: Okay. For pos- sure. Positive reviews from, from yes. Camper Life with Reese. <laughs> Maybe, maybe you'll have to start a, you know, a different podcast.
2: (laughs) i thought about it. I actually, yeah, to have done a few, but yeah, I just, as you guys can imagine, I actually don't have that much free time. So I haven't done anything with the, with the blog. So, um, but yeah, I'll keep the updates coming for sure.
4: Cool. Cool.
2: (laughs) Well, we have an awesome show this week, so we're going to get started right after this commercial break from Kentucky performance products.
4: No words can describe the depth of the bond between a horse and his person. A kiss at the gate just before you turn him out. The soft touch of his muzzle on your hand as he scoops up the treat out of your palm. The warmth of his body under your legs as you saunter bareback across the pasture. The beat of his hooves as you gallop in perfect rhythm cross country. The sensation of flying as you clear the oxer. The sense of peace that comes over you as you walk together down the quiet trail. The sound of him contently eating his dinner. The feel of his warm, soft coat under your hand. The feeling you get when it's just you and your horse. It's why we do what we do at Kentucky Performance Products. This feeling is brought to you by Equijewel. Fight back against an energy crisis that can impact condition and performance. Equijuil is a high-fat, low-starch and sugar formula that was developed to safely meet the energy needs of your horse. The horse that matters to you matters to us.
1: Ruth hogan paulson joined us a couple of weeks ago for this interview.
2: Now it's an annual tradition to have FEI rider, trainer, and para-Olympic coach Ruth hogan pulson on. Hi, Ruth. Welcome back. Hi. Thanks for having me. Good to hear you. I know. Normally we have you literally the first show of the year, but you and I are in Wellington and and it's really busy. So we're really happy to have you tonight to discuss. You have the best dressage writer journal that you produce every year and it gets better and better. So let's talk about what are some new goal setting questions and answers that you have in the journal this year. Well, we have the basic
5: structure is the same. And I think the, the beginning is so valuable because not a lot of people take enough time to kind of assess what their goals are, what their strengths are. Many people don't do that. You know, most of the time when I talk about asking my students for their goals, the first thing they tell me is all the things they can't do. And I say, yeah, but what about this and this and this? I need to know your strengths as well as your weaknesses, because we all have them and we all have to use them as good tools. So there's a little bit more focus on really analyzing not only your own strengths, but your horse's strengths and how you can incorporate them into your smaller tasks, a day-to-day task or a weekly task or a monthly goal to achieve the big stuff that you have on your plate.
1: That's an excellent point. I mean, you know, we're all good at you know, criticizing ourselves, and uh, you know, w- we've got to start from a place of confidence, and you know, and and building. You know, you got to build your, you know, you got to build yourself before you can start to say, okay, this is what I can't do, or this is how I'm going to get there. You know, I think that's that's an excellent focus.
5: Yeah, I feel it with myself and as a dressage rider, which most of us are, you know, we're very picky, we're very detail-oriented, and you lose sight, you lose track of actually how much progress you've made when you don't keep track. As one of the really wonderful things about keeping your journals and, like, you're having a rainy, bad day, you go back and look what you were doing a year and a half ago, it makes your day a lot better.
2: Well, I think it too, it really helps with sort of not having negative self-talk. I literally said this to three people today, you know, because we're, we have a horse show tomorrow, which is crazy. Uh, you know, we're getting the new tests out. We're, we're learning the tests. Well, we've been the last couple of weeks, but you know, there was a lot of negative self-talk today. And I finally just said, stop, like, this is not helpful. Like we have a goal for this horse show tomorrow. Let's see how we do. It is literally the first horse show of the year. And that's, really important because when you have already have a base of what your strengths are it's easier to not sort of get wrapped up in this negative self-talk right
5: Uh, totally i i also have students going to the same show probably you are (laughs) And, and and i you know i i set out like two weeks before what is the goal for this horse show because we don't really care about the score right now. I want to see the application of all the new things that you've been working on. And, and you know, everybody gets super eager because you've worked so hard to get here and it's expensive and it's time, sweat and tears and money. And 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 yet you still have to chip away at the little things that makes the big picture because nobody's going to have their very best test at the first horse show But wouldn't it be nice if you could chink off some of those tasks that we've been working at? And then you've achieved a small goal. And then the next one, you add this or you add more power or you add whatever. But you have, for me, with my students, it's relaxation, application of new tools and what you do when you make a mistake. Because we're all going to make mistakes. And so when you look at maybe the goal of this horse show is to wrap your head around what to do in your, in your strength strength spots and what to do in your weak spots. And what happens when your horse looks at the flower? Do you keep riding or do you let the next two movements get down to a five? Those are big goals. Those are hard things to do. So one little thing at a time leads to your bigger scores, your more harmonious ride. You're more productive, and, and that's really keeping track of that is why I started the journal in the first place, because my students and I really needed a place to have a platform to put this stuff down so you could check off the boxes. Boy, it feels good when that happens, huh?
2: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just cause I, I'm, I have it here with me because of the interview, but it's, it's also, I, I've been writing in mine, you know, cause I also am here having lessons and trying to get better. And and so I've been writing in it and it's great because I have it right on my counter. I come in when I'm, you know, just sitting, I try to make myself sit down for five or 10 minutes every day and write down sort of what's been going on, but it also has really good reminders. For example, yeah. learning your geometry of your school figures. So we write down here in Florida and, and are there are other other circuits going on, we're working on showing and there's a great preparation for competition, but it also has things that if you aren't sort of in the in Florida right now you your home, it has, you know, notes. How do you keep notes for a clinic or from a lecture? How do you learn your geometry? That- and so I think it, it is for both. It's not just for us here. You know, obviously we're in a competition zone while Philip in Canada, he's in a training zone. So it actually works for both uh, because in the summer when I'm switching to more of a, a, a training mode and he switches to a competition mode, it's, it's, you can use the book differently.
5: Absolutely. I mean, and I right now I'm here in Florida, but a lot of my barn and my wonderful, amazing crew is in Vermont and it's, you know, like 20 below zero or something tomorrow. So Um. there's not going to be much riding, but you can still prep your mind and your body by reading through one of your favorite lessons or something that you've taken notes on or get your visualization back by going back and, and reading your notes and how you felt and what happened that day? And did you lunch first? And oh yeah, it's great reminders when you can't
2: ride and good preparation for your mind when you, when you can. Yeah. And, and also the new tests that have come out. I mean, this is new for everybody, you know, so it's, it's a good time now to, to look at their figures that are in the book, but it's also a good time to sort of look at that and, and know, okay, your tests are going to be different, even if you're at the same level. Right. Right. So some of them have changed and some of them haven't.
5: But uh, all of them have had some little changes, whether that's wording or a different coefficient, might be the same pattern. But boy, if you don't read through that judge's test, the score sheet itself, and read those directives, you're missing out because the, the score sheet is telling you what that judge is judging you on in the priority in which they are judging you on. And so I find that to be very helpful to read through it and write down my polls. like I always drift left before I turn right off the center line. Don't do that, Ruth, right? So like you remind yourself when you're drawing in the book, there's lots and lots of space to draw your figures and your tasks. Of uh, Reminders of things that you traditionally do that are good and traditionally do that you're losing a point here and there.
1: Yeah, I mean that, that's a great point for um, you know pe- people up north here. Uh, you know, if you're planning on showing this year, you, you you can start on like figuring out the patterns of each test and and what's new, what's different, and uh, um, you know just break it down. You know, um, movement by movement, and and kind of write down. Okay, today I'm gonna I'm gonna work on the center line halt, and then you know you can do that for. For a week, you know, and, and you can get it really good before you ever have to kind of, uh, you know, trailer out to a horse show and and show, show the judge, uh, you know, wh- exactly. what, what you're doing, what, what you're learning. Yeah,
5: that that center line is the same 10 points as a circle or a flying change, you know, so like the small details of focusing on that now where then you don't even have to think about it of being straight on the center line really makes you be able to ride more expression or whatever, you know, more confidently down that center line when you've already practiced it and you know what you're going to do.
2: And and Ruth, you also put it, and I don't know if it was in last year, but you talk a little bit more about Cavaletti's and also there's great, um, dimension. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: Yeah. So I did add a couple more pages of, Geom- geometrical figures and like the three loop serpentine, which I also have an, a written and an audio explanation on, and I have something exciting to say after that. The, all the figures are in there. I did also include last year, but there's more this year and some different of the use of cavaletti and ground poles for cross training, for suppling, for engagement for use of the lower back and how to ride them. So they're tucked in there in the month where they kind of gradually increase in the level of difficulty, the ground pole use. And, you know, there's only so much space to write, but most of the ones that are there can be used in walk trot and canter, And there's a handy little cheat sheet in there also of how far to space them for the average horse. So that's helpful when you're, thinking, well, how close do I put them when they're on the circle, you know, so for example?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's great. I mean, in a couple of weeks here, we're going to be reviewing a book by Christian Baer. Uh, it's called uh, Arena Tracks, and it's got lots of great pole work there, too. I mean, th- this is what we're kind of doing here in uh, in the winter is like, you know, things that aren't necessarily traditionally dressage practice. But, uh, you know, I, I love doing pole work. You know, uh, like you said, tomorrow it's going to be Minus 20 I'm not going to be riding the horses but uh, they can certainly no way, get yeah. get get out in the arena and uh, and um, you know be, be doing something so mm-hmm. so that, that that's why that's where I use kind of the the pole work you know kind of ridden and 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 not ridden it's uh it's really great for the horses
5: so the exciting piece that is in the works for next year's journal um, I mentioned because I had added in the serpentine loop because So many people have trouble riding a good, correct, geometrically, supple-laterally, supple-longitudinally serpentine. And it's early on in our tests and training level now. So I did a recording and a written description of why I think the serpentine, for example, is so hard to ride correctly and what it does for the rider and what it does for the horse. So next year, what we're going to have are these little Q&R codes also throughout the, the journal where there might be a little description next to the serpentine. It says for more information, video or written, uh, use this Q&R code. So people can have like a little library of information uh, of, of the different parts and movements that traditionally a lot of
2: people may have trouble with.
1: That sounds really useful. Yeah.
2: Thank you. That's fantastic. I love it. Well, Ruth, we've been talking so much about the journal, but how can people find it? So it's on Amazon. Um, You can find a link
5: to it on my website, which is ruthhoganpolson.com. You can also type in the Dressage Riders Journal uh, on Amazon and you can purchase it there. Uh, there are numbers of journals, but if you type in the Dressage Writer's Journal, you'll see some beautiful artwork on the cover that's done by my assistant trainer uh, and artist, Emily Goddard. Uh, it's a beautiful cover with a bay horse on the front. It's a lovely artwork, so you can recognize it that way. It's
2: brown tones,
5: and you can also go to my website.
2: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. You're so welcome. It's been great
5: to hear both of you.
2: Have you ever wondered how to keep your horse sound and how to prevent future lameness issues? Have you had to deal with abscesses, stone bruises, laminitis, navicular, or soft tissue damage in the hoof capsule? Or maybe you're a farrier and you want to learn how top vets around the world diagnose and treat various hoof care issues. The Humble Hoof is a podcast for both owners and professionals discussing the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Check us out, published twice a month on Horse Radio Network.
1: Well, it is my pleasure to introduce the author of our book club book of the month, Arena Tracks. We have Christian Baer. He's an equine rehabilitation specialist and the graduate of the Swedish and German School of Course Design. Hi, Christian. Yeah, thank you for having me on. All right, it's a it's a pleasure. I mean, we, we've had a few technical issues, so uh, you know, kind of gotten used to talking to each other. So maybe uh, maybe we can start by you telling us uh, about yourself and and uh, and your riding career.
0: Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small town in Sweden with about eighteen thousand people. So and in Sweden, it's very common to have local riding schools. So each city has their own riding school, and they had a free riding for boys for about two weeks, so it's lasted two weeks. And some of my friends from school took me up there, and ever since, I always continue to ride. And lucky for me, the head instructor at the riding school at the time was a man called Stefan. and he took me a little bit under his wings, so I was able to have more lessons through that that I worked for him. I helped him with his horses and groomed, and then I had the possibility to have uh, private sessions in jumping and massage And in order to afford the regular lessons, I delivered newspapers and advertising in our hometown, and that allowed me to continue with the riding.
1: So you didn't—you didn't come from a, f- a family of riders.
0: No, my my dad he does—he still does uh, stained glass. So he does the big and old church windows all over Sweden, and. Some parts of Europe, and my mom had a daycare, so it was no one in our family had anything to do with horses at all. So it was kind of it's kind of odd.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, like I come from a horsey family, uh-huh. and uh, I, I you know I talk to a lot of people who just somehow you you get the bug, or, or you you know you have a certain genetic makeup that that uh, you know leads you into horses, and then w- once you're in, you you you, n- you never get out.
0: Yeah, no, that's right. That's it's right. it's an
1: addiction, I, you know. That's that's what I say. It's it's an addiction, and it's a very expensive addiction.
0: It is. It is. It's it a it's a lifestyle, and what kind of fascinates me with it is that what I love is is problem solving and continue to learn, and that's with the horses has allowed me to do this up to the present day. I still uh, study new things and new areas. I mean, now I'm into like cell biology, you know, about all things. And during COVID, I got bored. And I started looking into breathing, how breathing could affect a rider and uh, humans. So I went to Europe to attend a course in breathing. So I'm a certified breathing instructor too. But I mean, I think that that's that's actually one of the things that makes the biggest difference in the clinics that I'm teaching is to control the breathing and control the stress, the stress level with the people. And the horses feel that immediately when the rider starts to be calmer. So, but well, that was. But, I mean, uh, yeah, you, you track, have a, a
1: lot of other, you know, uh, we were we were just chatting earlier, and you have a lot of other um, diplomas and education. So maybe you can just that that will lead us into, you know, what other certificates that you hold.
0: Yeah. So uh, if I just start from the beginning there, so when I graduated high school in Sweden, I knew that I wanted to do something with horses. So to make sure that it was that I wanted to do, I went to Germany because Germany at the time or still is one of the leading countries for horse sport and they have a tremendous amount of horses and studs everywhere. So the way I did was when we went uh, for a vacation to Germany, I bought pretty much all horse magazines that I could buy and took them home. And then I went through all the magazines and looked for addresses to studs. And then I wrote letters. So I don't, I think I sent out probably 30 letters, and surprisingly, I think I almost got answers from every single one. But then I picked five stables that I went to visit, and um, I decided to go to uh, Buckman Stable. They had about 400 horses at the property at the time, and coming from a small town in Sweden, I mean, you've never ever seen anything like it, so it was like an amazing experience. So I decided I was going to go there for a year, which I did, but in that time, they just started a new university education in Sweden. So I thought, okay, maybe I should try that. And so I sent in the papers there, and I think they had between four and 600 applicants for about 30 spots. So for the testing, for the selection, it was a two or three day test, I think, and you had to run, and it was an interviewed with psychologists and all and all of these things, and right, of course, and then when I got accepted, that's when I started there. And the unique thing there is that the university was tied to the National Stud and the National Riding School, which meant that we were training for the national trainers. The chef of keeps for dressage and for jumping, which is I mean just unbelievable uh, to have such an opportunity. So all the best teachers in the country including uh, Kira Tjerklund, for example, and Peter Eriksson, and Jens uh, Fredriksson, and whoever else it was. So I was really, really thankful for that time. And the professors, they all came from Uppsala, which is the very famous university. So we had the best of both worlds, the both practical teachers and uh, theoretical uh, teachers. So after that, I decided, okay, Think I want to go back to Germany. So I went back to Germany, to north northern part of Germany, and worked in a kind of smaller size barn. But they took on mostly problem horses. Or and I don't really like the term problem horses because they're not really they aren't really problem horses. It's us as humans we make them into problem horses. But anyway, that's that's what it was. So I worked there for a year, and I thought, okay. I'll Probably want to compete a little bit more. So I looked at the stud or got offered a job at the stud in southern Germany. They had about uh, 100 horses at the time. Beautiful area close to Switzerland and Lake Constance. So I went down there and, uh, you know, you had about 16, 18 horses on my list and uh, competition every weekend. And after two years there, another stud owner, also about 80 to 100 horses, uh, offered me a job as uh, head rider and head trainer at the place. So I took that and actually stayed with him for about um, 10 years, almost 10 years. And took horses from fall up to Grand Prix level jumping. But then, of course, the way it works at studs is that when the horses get to a certain level and they are easy to ride, they get sold. That's just the nature of of what we do. But then... Tragically, he, the owner got sick, and he passed away. And then the uh, family took over the stud, and they didn't really have the same philosophy. Very nice people, but not the same philosophy. So I thought, okay, it's probably time for me to change. And um, I had been to Dubai a couple of times, so I thought, okay, maybe I should work in Dubai. And then, just weirdly, I got an offer from Bermuda. And Bermuda is a very, very tiny island. It's The widest part is one mile, and it's like 22 miles long, I think. So I decided to take that job. So I went to Bermuda and was the head instructor at the the biggest riding school there. So we had about 50 horses on the property. And... About every second weekend during the season was a horse show at the national equestrian uh, center there. So it's it so a, there's
1: quite a few uh, riders from you know from Bermuda that uh, end up in you know end up in the U.S. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. That's correct. That's correct. And actually, uh, Canada and UK. So it's, it's yeah. strong ties to Canada. All the financial, most of the financial people are uh, either British or Canadian. Actually, in in Bermuda, it's 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 really fascinating. So. But well, that was an interesting place. And during that time, I got to know Olaf Peterson, which is, I think, the only course designer that has designed two Olympic Games. But I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty certain that that's the case. So anyway, I got the um, invitation to the International School of Course Design in Aachen. So I went there and graduated from there and went back several times ever since. And that took me then to having my own business again in Germany for about half a year. It was kind of short-lived because I did uh, meet my wife at the Aachen School of Course Design. And she already had a farm here in Tennessee. So we decided, okay, we should probably start to work in Tennessee and use this as our home base. So that's how I ended up in, in the United States. So and I love it. I love it. I really like US because I think the people in general are very positive. They are very open to new ideas, and so that suits me very well as a highly energetic person and always looking for new things to learn.
1: So you've taken all that knowledge, and you know what was the inspiration in in writing this book? Tell tell us about Arena Tracks.
0: Okay, so it started with. Me going to China. And I visited three cities in China um, and a couple of riding schools. And then one of them stood out. It was a riding school in uh, Nanjing. They have a great, great program. Uh, But they wanted structure. And they have some influence from the British Horse Society, but I think they were looking for something a little bit different. And then I thought, okay, I can definitely help them out. So I got home and started to work on getting an overview of the tracks and in which order to teach them and so on. And then I realized when I started to look things up that there's not really anywhere where I can de- direct people to look this up. So I thought, okay, I'll just create it on my own. So that's how the book Arena Tracks got started. So it was not because I had the idea to make a book. It was out of necessity.
1: Okay, and, you know, yeah, one, one place to go and, and look up you know, all all the different figures.
0: Exactly. And I mean, in the modern day, we get information pretty much anywhere, anytime from YouTube. You can teach yourself pretty much anything. But the problem that we're having is that we have the information, but we don't have the structure. And information without structure is very hard to use. So if you use the right piece at the wrong time, it's unfortunately also wrong. Right. So, I think that that's very important. So that was my main goal with the book to put the structure to everything that I did. And even if a rider or a trainer don't use it, but hopefully that sparks some creativity and understanding for the structure of how to ask for certain tasks from rider and a horse so that it's always correct against horse,
1: well, yeah i i think you know this book i i've i've had it a little while now and i've been going through it and it, it it doesn't describe all the things that you can do in in dressage you know uh leg yields and shoulder and you know like all all but it has the you know simplified figures which which is great and and it you know the diagrams explain exactly where, for instance, the the 10 meter circle goes and and how to place it in an arena, uh, a small arena and a big arena. Because, you know, in my experience and in my teaching, you can say to someone, do a 10 meter circle at M, for instance, Mm -hmm. but people don't like, people need to have some visual ideas of, of where and how a 10 meter circle works. Yeah. Right. So I, I think that that is super important because you can't you can't have all the benefits of a nice ten meter circle if you don't know where you know where you're going. Right. I think that's
0: exactly exactly. And, and just take example as the uh, the serpentines, the three loop serpentine. It looks very very different in a twenty by sixty compared to a twenty by forty. It's it's a very different task, right?
1: yeah yeah uh, uh, yeah absolutely i mean the the 20 by 60 is is bigger for instance mm-hmm. but but people get lost when when they're in a big arena or when you know riding a test It's like oh no where do i go now where you know, like you have you know if your instructor says do a, a three-loop serpentine it's it's always going to be better if you have a place to start from at least a picture mm-hmm. in your mind to uh you know where where you're where you're going to go
0: Exactly. You can basically use math, even if you don't have the, the 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 feel for it yet, you can use math to figure out, for example, your four turning spots on the 20 meter circle. Uh, that, 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 that is possible. And then eventually you will have a feel for how the symmetry should feel if it's done correctly.
1: The other thing that I like about this book, uh, you know, especially for me, you know, stuck indoors in, in the winter, is uh, it has like a great introduction to pole work. Right. And that, yeah. you know, we, we always say like, Oh, you should do, you know, everybody knows like, Oh, we should do pole work, but don't know exactly, you know, where to put them or, or how to make the pole work interesting. And, and your book starts right from scratch. Like, okay, well, you know, place a pole here and then, you know, th- three feet or, you know, um, mm-hmm. if you're doing trot poles, yep. you're going to place another pole, you know, like it's just, the diagrams are amazing and clear, and uh, and you can figure out, you know, how to do all this. You know, in poles on a diagonal, and then it has some exercises and in, in creating big strides, short strides, and and you can uh, you can structure your rides, even if you don't know how to set the horse up in good balance, you, you will by by you know you ride a few days. You know these pole work and, and
0: and you can do it, and the horse the
1: horse can do it,
0: yeah, it will it will definitely take you a long way when you follow a good rhythm and a good track. you have a lot of obstacles. you have overcome a lot of obstacles within your training. Then of course, it's more to it than that, but that gives anyone, I think a very, very good start and a very, very horse friendly start because nothing will be abrupt or harsh against the horse, which I think is very important to consider now in the in the in the modern world where we talk about a social license to operate, right? So I I didn't talk much about that in the in the book about techniques because I don't want to create a lot of a discussion about opinions, how to train with that book, because I want it to be very broad so that everyone can use it and not put anyone outside the book, so that they feel that they're not invited to use it because they ride in a different way. I wanted definitely not that to happen. But I do think that the social license to operate is something that we all, as a trainer and a rider, have to consider. It might not be quite as big yet in the United States, but in Europe, it's it's really there. They, some people and big people talk about that we're not allowed to ride horses in in about 10 years' time. And uh, I know that in German TV, I think it was yesterday, uh, Primetime was a big, big, big investigation about uh, treatment of riding horses um, in Germany. So it's definitely coming. And I think it's important for all us horse people to show that what we are doing with the horses is, is correct. And it's, it's friendly against the horses.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think with, uh, you know, training should be of benefit to the horse. It's like you said earlier, you, you, there are no problem horses. It's just through through humans interacting with them that you create um, situations in which the the horses don't have a choice. To, do you know what I'm saying here?
0: Yes, of course. Yeah, that we always ask why. Always why. So if the horse cannot do leg yield, for example, that I have to ask myself why. It's, it's probably not because it doesn't want to. It's probably something there that limits that. And then if I can find out what it is that causes that, now I can move on. And let's say it's never able to do leg yield, then should we? That is the question that we have to uh, ask ourselves. And I think when, for example, money gets involved, it it gets very difficult. Because let's say you go out and you buy a jumping horse for the 150s or a Grand Prix Dressage horse for... $200,000, $150,000, Two hundred thousand dollars, one hundred fifty thousand dollars, and now the horse can do it, but it doesn't really want to do it. Then, should we do it? Th- that, is, that is a very very difficult question, and it's uh, because it's a lot invested in it. So I think it's um, yeah, it's just something to think about. I just want to open that that way of thinking a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, th- there there is uh, quite a bit of you know jumping stuff it's interesting to to kind of go through it and you know maybe maybe you're not going to be a jumping rider but you know it gives some understanding about you know how how jumping works and 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 uh you know how to canter over a cavaletti should be you know within reason for all riders and all horses
0: totally totally and if you go back to the the word resource, that it Basically, all it need, means is, is training, right? It's the, it's the French word for training. So that's where everything should be based on. Then, in in the dressage, that's that's where we build the horses up to be strong and supple enough to do the work that we ask them to do, but also for to for them to last for a long time. And then the poles, as the exercises shows, can use be used for variety in the training, but also to to check can i for example maintain this stride length and can i lengthen the the stride to this point without creating tension or losing the balance in the candor so i think it can be very very useful as as tests for the regular dressage rider as well
1: yeah yeah good good so is there is there anything else that you would like to say about the book
0: i just hope that people read it and take away the structure, that they really go from simple, good, understandable exercises and then then build on that. And uh, I think that that will help a lot of riders, but also horses all over the world.
1: And if people have any questions, where can they get a hold of you? And where can they get a hold um, of the book, of course?
0: Uh, the book would be on horseandriderbooks.com, Trafalgar Square. They have the book to order there. And also, uh, I think most major bookstores carry it. And um, I'm fairly easy to get hold of. I'm on LinkedIn, most of the social media platforms. Uh, GlobalEquestrian.com is our website. And uh, my private email is is very easy. It's c.buyer75 at gmail.com.
1: Awesome. Thank you for doing this interview.
0: Yeah, of course. So I'm glad to be on.
1: Yeah, and thank you for writing the book, because I think it can help a lot of people. Yeah, I think so, too.
2: Well, for this week's Trainer Tip of the Week, we have Anna Merritt, FEI Writer and Trainer from Ocala, Florida, on the line. Hi, Anna. Hey. How are you tonight?
3: doing well, and you? We are great. Well, you have a fantastic tip for us. Why don't you uh, start with it? Yeah, so I think that one of my best tips can be just getting out of the ring, like taking your horse for a hack, like going for a little canter in the field, just to keep them mentally fresh and happy. I think it's pretty easy, especially for our adult amateur riders where they only have one horse to ride and they only have one period of time per day that they get to ride that they really want to hone in on you know test riding the movements and ring work but it's so important that the horses can get out and just have a little bit of fun for both rider and horse
2: no I love this because it is true like it's hard to not want to get on and focus on on a test right or focus right. on something very specific that you want to do but you have mm-hmm. to remember, It's your horse is also part of the equation, right? And we want to vary their day, their work and their day. It's hard to go to work in the same spot and do the exact same thing every day at the same time. And then if something changes, you know, the horses are like, oh, this isn't what we do. Um, And I think it's so important to get out now. And I have to, I have to fess up and everybody knows this on the show. I don't love to hack out. But so it's really out of it's I hate it. I hate well, some horses. (laughs) Some horses. My Grand Prix horse is the worst. He's terrible. But I do have to force myself out of the ring because I agree with you. I think it's really important. So do you have some tips for people where I mean, I don't love it. And like down here, there's alligators and there's uh, <laughs> just things and it freaks me out. So do you have some tips for people that that uh, don't necessarily like to go out and hack? Like, what are some things that you ha- do with a student if if they're like me and they don't love it? So what are some things? Because I think some people get stuck in the ring because it's scary to venture out of the ring sometimes. Do you have any thoughts?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if it's not an option for you to like ride out and go for a hack, like you don't have the facilities for it, or you're just not willing to, like it makes you uncomfortable. I mean, A, you can have your trainer hack your horse out, you know, there if it's you go. Yeah, you're uncomfortable. Agreed. No, I was yeah, say, or, or somebody or that's really comfortable.
4: An- anybody.
3: Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. Somebody that would enjoy to do that. Um, and then for yourself, like for you and your relationship to your horse, You can mix things up in the ring as well, you know, just with simple Cavaletti work. It's so easy just to put a few poles down um, and and just do stuff like that. Mix it up a bit.
1: I think you can also, yeah, you don't have to be riding if you're, I mean, if you're not super adventurous, you can certainly take the horse for a walk. I mean, that's, you know, the same, achieve the same thing. And then, and then they get a little bit more used to not being in the ring and, and, you know they've got a lot of stuff to look at. So, but I mean, if you do it once a week for four weeks or five weeks that, they, they, you know, they build your confidence, build your horse's confidence. And then maybe the next time you go out, you're like, Oh, you know, like, I think I'm ready. And then you, and then you hop on and you, and you go for a nice hack. That's, that's a way to build towards, uh, you know, a separate goal.
3: Yeah, that's a really good point. Just taking baby steps, you know, even if it's just hand grazing your horse around and then you can see, how your horse is handling the environment outside of the ring, you can see that, you know, they're quiet. They're not going to do anything and there's nothing to be worried about. Or maybe they're not quiet and they're spooky outside the ring. Then you can spend that time of the, on the ground building their confidence. And then eventually, hopefully they're confident enough for you to So confidently hack them out.
2: Yeah, this is what I do. I mean, I don't like to take young horses out for the first time. It's not something it's never been a strength of mine, but I am very blessed to have great assistants who are really confident at it and great event riders in my Mm -hmm. life. And man, once they go out a few times and they're confident then I'm confident and I'm happy to do it. So I think that's really important to know that like, it's okay if that's not a strength, but it is something that your horses do need to do and it's so good for them. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's a really, really good thing to remember. And I think especially, I mean, Phil, you know, obviously we're in Florida right now so we can get out and do I mean, any other suggestions that you have for people that are stuck in indoors? I mean, right now you guys are stuck. It's winter,
0: so any <laughs> any
2: thoughts? I mean, yeah, I, I
3: mean, the, mean the, any the, thoughts? the pole,
1: yeah, the pole exercise one um, is is great. Uh, you know, either you know, kind of lunging or. You know, I've said before on the show that that uh, we integrate, you know, over the winter, we integ- integrate poles and, you know, and stuff like that uh, into our routines. So we're just doing something different.
3: Yeah. yeah, exactly. You have to work with your environment. And if you're stuck in one ring, then you have to get a little creative sometimes. I I have some clients that enjoy doing like Liberty Groundwork in the round pen with their horse. That's fun for them. They get to bond, you know, and it's just something different for the horse to think about as well. Yeah, I love it. Well, Anna, great tip. How can our listeners find you online to find more? I'm on Facebook. That's just my name. A-N-N-A, last name Merritt, M-E-R-R-I-T-T. And I'm also on Instagram. My handle is Anna T Merritt, spelled the same way. Fantastic. Thank you, Anna.
2: Great. Thank you guys so much. Well, as always, keep those emails and Facebook shout outs coming. We love them and we love giving trainer tips for you guys. It makes our day. As always, you can find our show notes and links to today's guests on our website, dressageradio.com. Like us on Facebook, just search Dressage Radio Show. Follow us on Twitter at Horse Radio. My website is maplecrestfarmky.com and my email is reese at horseradionetwork.com.
1: I think the best place to find me is on Facebook or my email is philip at horseradionetwork.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors this week for allowing us to put on a good show. That's Kentucky Performance Products. If you'd like to support our show and the Horse Radio Network, you can do that through the auditor program found at horseradionetwork.com.
2: Everybody keep your heels down and your shoulders back and we will talk to you next week.